Father, as we celebrate coming here today, we are reminded on this Memorial Day weekend for those that it's tough, for those that have lost loved ones, for those that have gave the ultimate sacrifice, which is their life. It really doesn't matter what the politics of war may be in our belief system. These are men and women that have died and are missed by their families and their friends and their loved ones. So we just want to honor them this morning. We want to thank you for their lives. And we have incredible privileges and freedoms because of their sacrifice. Some that we often ignore and some we just... Well, we we often want privileges without cost, don't we? So we pause for a moment to remember. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I want to take a shift for a moment from those that are fallen for our country to think about those who are fallen for the kingdom of God. And by making this shift, in no way I want to minimize the lives that were laid down for our country. We have many privileges due to someone else's sacrifices. And I, talking to ex-vets, I know how frustrated they get when many do not even reflect upon their privilege. And they want the privileges without the cost. And to many that made sacrifices like that, it's hurtful. But it's true for the church, isn't it? I think about the stories that we heard this morning, and I had the privilege of hearing the stories more in detail when we do a baptism class. And there are people who have died for the cause of the church. Some recent statistics from Open Door Ministries says that every month there's 322 Christians that are killed because they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 214 properties, homes, and churches are destroyed. There's 722 acts of violence, violence being deemed as beating, rape, abduction, arrest, or forced marriages. 75% of the world's population live in persecuted areas against the church of Jesus Christ. Now, the text this morning, we're going to talk about storms. And the storms that other Christians experience are unlike anything that we experience. And remember the words that we looked at in Matthew 5. We're dealing with the Sermon on the Mount right now. We're closing out. But remember what he said in 5 verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my accounts. We have incredible privileges in America due to the sacrifices that our military personnel made, but also due to sacrifices the Christian church has made around the world. We don't understand that depth of cost. And when Christ talks about forgiveness, you can say in these settings, it's extreme forgiveness. It's, it's Holy Spirit forgiveness. Because he says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. 
For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And I think just like those in America, I think those in American churches want the privileges without the costs. And for those that made the sacrifice, you know, it's hurtful. So I want to offer a prayer as well for those that are fallen for the church. Pray with me. Father God, we are blessed in this country and we thank you for that. And we're reminded now of Christians that are in the front line at this very moment who are dying for you in your name because somebody else just doesn't like the fact that they're following you. Help us, Lord, to realize the cost and the privilege that we have. Help us to be true followers of you. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to begin with two questions. Here's the first. How much does God love us? Now, that's an academic question, isn't it? And and if we were to take the time, you'd give answers like, well, he loves us with an everlasting love. You might even quote a hymn like, oh, the deep, deep, deep love of Jesus. But that's an academic question. Let me move to my second question. How much do you believe God loves you? Now that question reflects on how many lies we've allowed to saturate our minds and our hearts. If we start excluding ourselves because of our past, if we start excluding ourselves because of our situation, if we start saying, you know what? God loves somebody else better than me because they're better than I am. It's a question that really reflects how much do we believe and trust that Jesus loves us. As the little child song goes, this I know. Say it with me, for the Bible tells me so. Breakpoint this past week, there's a title, one of the blogs, and I like the title. It said, fake news, real news, and good news. (laughs) In kingdom of God living that we've been talking about, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, our primary interest is in the good news. Amen? Let's not forget it. It's where we should spend most of our time. If you give a half hour to some news broadcast, I don't care which side, you better give at least an hour to the kingdom of God good news. Because you've got to unsort and unfilter the lies of our own culture. And here's the practical application of good news. We saw it this morning, didn't we? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I could get baptizing all morning. And uh, that in and itself is a message. I mean, they gave wonderful testimony to what God does. But here's what all this means. That we as a church, we as GBC, take the time to see what God is doing and we step into his mission. So that's critical because we have to figure out what God's up to. We have to discern where he is leading. That takes wisdom, that takes community. I know we sing the songs, where he leads me, I will follow. But far too often because we want the privilege without the cost... We insist God enter our plans. 
And if he or anyone else doesn't line up with our agenda, what happens? Well, we get offended and we blame and we divide ourselves. But we as a church have to figure out what he is up to. Could you guess this morning? He's about the transformation of people. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We're called to live radical lives. We have, for those that are visiting, have been investing ourselves in looking at the Jesus' sermon and, and looking at all the particulars of that. And there's two things we've talked about that keeps us from living out this kingdom of God core values. One is our religious traditions. It's where we make a set of standards. Instead of following God's standards, we say, well, here's what it means to follow Jesus. When Jesus says, no, this is what it means. Remember the phrase? Well, you say, but I say. You say, but I say. You say that I came to condemn the Old Testament, but I came to fulfill it. And the second thing that keeps us from this sermon is our culture where we seek to accommodate our culture rather than live the transformative nature of Christ. We are more concerned about being light than we are being loved by God. Now last week, we talked about words, false and true, saying and doing. This week, we talk about hearing and doing. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We sang about that rock this morning, didn't we? And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now Luke tells this same parable this way, and I like the way it starts. Just listen. In Luke 6, he says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and it could not shake it because it had been built well. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So, This is a parable about life. It's a parable about what we build our lives on. It's a parable about foundations. We have two men. They both had the same desire. They wanted to build a home. They wanted to build a house. They both heard the same Jesus. Remember the phrase, those who heard my words? Both used quality materials. They were good homes. No one builds a house that will fall down. By mere observation, everyone would have said both were great houses. But there's a difference. It's what cannot be seen. It was below the surface. 
It was the foundation. One was rock, one was sand, and that was a fatal difference. Now, again, remember what he's been talking about here. He's been talking about sets of twos. There's two ways. There's two treats, trees, those that bear fruit, those who do not. There's two truths, both false and true. And he says here there's two foundation. And here in this story, he tells us that when we hit crisis, when we hit storms, when they beat against us, it reveals the truth about what is unseen. And we're reminded again of the perils of false words, of false teaching. So what Jesus has been doing the whole time is he gets down to the heart of the matter. And here's the simple one-point sermon this morning. It's obedience or it's disobedience. It's not faith and or good works. It's faith and good works. So the rock is the words of Christ. Do we trust them and him enough to listen and follow even when it seems counterintuitive? When he comes across and says, listen, if you want to find your life, you're going to lose it. When he comes to a rich man and says, listen, if you really want to be rich, I want you to give everything away. Remember the treasures we contrasted? Those that are temporary and those that are eternal? But the sand is people will hear, but they say, you know what? I have a better way. This makes sense to me. If two people love each other, and we apply our own definitions to those kind of phrases. And of course, the sand illustrates the religious leaders. They were very involved in a set of religious words and activities, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But they said, these things have great value to God. And the problem was in their hearts. And everything was external and superficial. Everything was comprised from their opinions, speculations, and standards they themselves had put into place. They were the religious PC police of their day. And the house looked good. But it had no foundation. Because they refused to listen to the words of Jesus Christ. I mean, listen to the words of Jesus when he talks about the religious elite of his day. In Matthew chapter 23, beginning verse 1, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. Now, he's being sarcastic, okay? He's not literally saying follow them. He's saying they want you to follow them, but not the works they do. They talk well, they don't live well. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. We call them policies. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They live above the policies because they're the ones who set the policies. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Not to be seen for the glory of God. For they make their phylacteries. It has to do with things they looked at. And their fringe is long. They love the place of honor at feasts. And the best seat in the synagogues. And greetings in the marketplaces. And being called rabbi by others. See they love positions of power and authority. They love titles. They love to control others. They love the perks of celebrity. Religious status. They love being the moral police for everyone else. 
Then Jesus comes along and he gives seven woes in this passage. Woe is an exclamation of grief. It's where Jesus cries out. It's like, you know, why? And the first two, he says, you know, you guys shut the kingdom of God to in people's faces. He literally uses that phrase. And then he says, and when they believe the way you believe, you make them twice the child of hell that they, you are. I mean, those are harsh words. Woe number three, he called them blind guides. They're people leading people, but they themselves are blind. Number four, he says they lack justice and mercy. Now, when you study their whole tradition, they were into justice and mercy, but it was their version. Number five and six, he talked appearances over their hearts. And number seven, he says, you know, you guys honor dead prophets and kill the living ones. That's a statement about what they were going to do to him. And when you think about woe, you have to understand that this is what grieves Jesus. This is what building on the sand instead of the rock is. And sandy foundations are built on self-will, self-fulfillment, self-purpose. They are built on self-satisfaction. Paul describes sandy foundations in 2 Timothy 3.7 when he says this, they are always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Sandy foundations, they believe they have a corner in the truth. They believe everyone else is deceived. And they alone, and people who think like them, are the only ones who really understand. And here's what I've learned down through the years. Whenever I hear this phrase, and we're talking about God stuff, and someone says, well, you know, I know God says, but. As soon as I hear the word but. I say they're building on the sand. They're taking away the foundation. They hear the words of Christ, but. And they bring some other exception and exclusion and other definition. Now, in the midst of all these words in Matthew 23, here's what Jesus says right in the middle. And it's part of the right foundation. Matthew 23, verse 11 and 12. He says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. I know that sounds counterintuitive. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so the right foundation is everything we heard up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount. They are the words of Jesus. That is the rock that he wants us to build on. So, obedience or disobedience? We have to realize it is faith and works, not faith or works. That's another way of saying the obedience thing, okay? Just a one-point sermon this morning. Get this into our hearts. James 1, verse 22. Be not doers of the word, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then later on he says this in verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue... That's faith and works. But deceives his own heart. This person's religion is worthless. I might say this too. Uh, Facebook counts as the tongue. Just because it's the social media doesn't mean you didn't say it. Then he goes on to define pure religion. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. 
In James chapter 2, verse 17 through 20, he says this again. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But if someone will say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Useless? Then in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, and I'm just kind of pointing out that all the authors in our New Testament kind of say the same thing. Important part of who we are. In verse 3, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, I believe in him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Again, let me say this. It's not that we're perfect. We're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. But it's part of the journey. We have to realize that faith and works go hand in hand, and that God allows us to take a step here and a step there and a step here and a step there. And it may be two steps forward, one step back, but we keep moving forward, don't we? Whatever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Titus chapter 1 verse 16. Again, the context is a certain group of religious leaders. Not necessarily the Pharisees and Sadducees this time. They profess to know God. But they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Now... All this is a very hard concept for us in our culture because our culture is so duplicitous. It just means that there's no connection between our words and our lives. We claim a certain belief and we live a life that contradicts that belief. If you need an illustration, I'll just use the word tolerance. Some of the most intolerant people today are the people who preach tolerance. Their culture is a foundation of sand. And storms will collapse. And even if we think that, and you've heard this phrase before in our culture, well, that's just too big to fail. The storm will collapse that system. But note this passage. Storms will come from. Storms will come. But let's remind ourselves of this. That we are confronted with an incredible opportunity. Amen? I mean, think about it. Now, you've heard me say so often that many Christians are concerned with being liked or politically correct and being Christ. You heard me say that many people dilute truth, Christ, to fit their cultural definitions. And they avoid living out Christ. It could be out of fear. It could be out of deception. It could be out of blindness. We know today that churches are allowing and encouraging behaviors that are in direct violation of Christ's faith. I know God says... But, of course, then there's the other extreme where people dig in their heels and create a religious subculture and they pride themselves in their obedience to their version of God. And they lack the consistency of their own beliefs because one of the things that Jesus says is what? Go and make disciples. Go into all the world. We know when the Holy Spirit came upon those in the upper room, what they do? They left the upper room. They went into the streets that were hostile to Christ because they just crucified him and they preached Jesus and miracle happened. 
I mean, 2,000, and then 3,000. Yes, some were thrown in prison. Yes, some were killed like Stephen. But the movement, the kingdom of God, expanded in incredible ways. But here's our opportunity to live Christ and to do so with love, grace, forgiveness, and restoration. 1 Peter chapter 3, a series of verses. Just listen to how all this faith works and opportunity fits into this. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brother to love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Those are rock foundation things. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Those are sand foundation things. On the contrary, bless for this, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. That's that whole faith and works thing again. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Those are rock foundation things. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. That's a rock foundation thing. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's a sand foundation thing. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? It's a great question, isn't it? As I read these last two verses, I want two things to happen. One, I want the worship team to come up because we're going to sing a great song called uh, In Christ Alone. And also those people that bless us so today with their testimony. I know you probably don't want to do this, but people are going to want to greet you and rather than trying to find you, as we sing this final song, I want you to get up and kind of come down here to the front and that way people can greet you because you bless them with your words and they want to bless you. Amen? Amen. But listen to these last two words of Jesus. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord. That's the heart matter as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We live in such a way, we live so contrary to our culture. We live according to the kingdom of God values that when the storms come, people say, wow, your house is standing. How? Why? My house is in ruin. It got laid out. And then it gives you these words. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Not an arrogant, remember humility? But one that just humbly bows to the feet of Jesus saying thank you. Because you are my solid rock. Let's stand together and let's worship and sing in Christ alone.